0: So today is the second Sunday in the season we call Lent. What is Lent? Lent is this season of time that leads up to Good Friday and Easter. It's a time that Christians set aside to reflect on Jesus' passion, as well as our own personal journey as his disciples. When I think about my own life uh, following, following Jesus, I'm filled with gratitude but I'm also keenly aware of all the times that I've let fear get in the way of my faithfulness. Perhaps you can relate. For instance, there have been times where I know I'm being called to make a hard phone call, but because of fear, I can't bring myself to hit the call button. Or I know I'm being nudged to share some, some, something difficult, uh, confess some sin, or stand up for something that is right but I'm afraid of what will happen if I do, so I don't. Fear. As an emotion, fear is sometimes a very good companion. I mean, if you meet an angry bear in the woods, fear comes in handy. It gives you that adrenaline uh, push that your your body needs to, to run, to hide, and to protect itself. Our fear response system helps us avoid danger. I'm very glad that God programmed us with the capacity to feel this emotion and help us avoid danger. But while fear is a good companion, it is a bad master, because not all difficult situations are dangerous, and some situations call for courage, not fear. Given the power of fear and its tendency to impact our discipleship, it's no wonder that God's first word to his people is often do not be afraid. Think of, uh, think of the messengers of God, the angels in scripture. What is the first phrase, the first words out of every angel's mouth? Do not be afraid. And if you think about the life of Christ, so many times as he's engaging his disciples and the people he meets, his first words to them are, do not be afraid. So this Lent, we're gonna explore our fears And let Jesus reassure us that when it comes to being a disciple, there is good reason to take heart. So we'll be looking at different passages where Jesus says, do not be afraid. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 5, the call of the first disciples. The words will be on the screen, but you can also follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. Hear the word of the Lord. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats, boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, this this big catch story is a moment of revelation early in Jesus' life. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do is sh- uh, slowly coming into focus. The people of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, they, they don't really get Jesus. A few, a few days before this moment, he was in Nazareth. He was in the synagogue. He was preaching and teaching. He opened the scroll of Isaiah, and he said these bold words that today, this, this word is being fulfilled in your hearing. And the people of Nazareth, they just look at him, and they, they're like, who, who does this guy think he is? Isn't this the carpenter's son? So Jesus moves on from there, and he moves to the city called Capernaum. Jesus gets a warmer welcome in Capernaum, but, but the people there, they don't really understand or see Jesus either. They like Jesus because he teaches with authority. They really like Jesus because he heals their sick. They like him so much they want him to stay. They don't leave Jesus. Stay here. You're really, you know, you're helping out our community. But Jesus knows that being a local miracle worker is not his call. He's come to speak God's word. He's come to spread the message that a new day is coming, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus moves on from Capernaum and into the countryside, but by now it's pretty hard for him to move about freely word has gotten out and everyone wants a piece of this mystery man from Nazareth one day jesus was standing by the lake of gennesaret also known as the sea of galilee the crowd was so big that day that jesus needed a boat to properly address the crowds thankfully simon also known as peter was floating nearby cleaning his nets after a night of fishing Simon Peter was a fisherman from Capernaum. Jesus had stayed at his house a few days earlier. In fact, Jesus had healed Simon Peter's mother, who was suffering from something serious. So Jesus gets in his boat, and together they row out from shore, and they float in the calm morning water. Sitting down in the stern, Jesus continues to preach and to teach to the crowds. When the teaching about the kingdom was complete it was time for an illustration to make jesus point so jesus looked at simon peter and said row out into the deep waters and let down your nets now i'm no fisherman uh, but i knew i do know a thing or two about the nets that peter was cleaning these were deep sea nets thick and strong They were used at night or in the early morning before dawn because the fish could see the nets and it would scare them away. In addition to this, Peter has been fishing all night. He and his team have been at it for a few hours, and they've caught nothing. So in Peter's professional opinion, this deep water fishing trip is not really a good idea, but he's willing to do as Jesus says. Master, he says. Because you say so, I will do it. Master. The people of Nazareth would have laughed at Peter calling Jesus Master. The people of Capernaum probably would have thought this was funny too. I mean, they were interested in what Jesus could do for them, but Jesus wasn't their Master. But Simon Peter is ready to take this next step in the journey of faith. He's willing to hand over his boat and let Jesus take the lead, Master. As you say, I will do. What happens next is a miracle of sorts. I mean, it's not impossible, of course, to land a big catch of fish. It never happens for me, but it could happen. Did Jesus know that a big fish, of, a school of fish, was swimming by? Did Jesus cause the big school of fish? to swim into the nets? Luke doesn't spell out the details. What he wants us to see is not the miracle taking place in the water, but the miracle taking place in Simon Peter. When Simon Peter sees the nets breaking and the boat sinking, he is astonished, and he falls on his knees before Jesus. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, he says few things are important to note about Simon Peter's response. The first thing that I noticed is kind of a simple one, is, and that is that Simon Peter is now more interested in Jesus than he is in capitalizing on this big catch of fish. And I think you should think about that for a moment. I mean, imagine, imagine you're a fisherman, and that's your business. You and your family are dependent on fish for your livelihood. It is not every day that you land a net-breaking, boat-sinking catch of fish. But Simon Peter doesn't see dollar signs, nor does he try to recruit Jesus to join his fishing crew. Instead of capitalizing on the catch, Peter drops his nets and drops to his knees. He knows that he's standing on holy ground. And so with a little fear and trembling, he says, Go away from me, Lord for I am a sinful man. There's something so fitting about Peter's response here. It's a fearful thing to be in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, most of the people that get close to the Ark of the Covenant don't live to speak about the experience. When the people are in the wilderness with Moses, it's only Moses who's allowed to approach the presence of God, and everyone else has to stay at this safe distance. And when God visits Isaiah in the temple, the first thing Isaiah does is he hits the deck as well and he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The holiness of God is pure and powerful humility and a little fear and trembling is in order. C.S. Lewis was on to something when he creatively depicted Jesus as a lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. Lions are majestic and beautiful, attractive, but they are also powerful, and you need to give them space and respect. Best to keep some distance. Susan and Lucy, they tremble with fear when they, first, when they approach Aslan for the first time. Simon Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of someone who has come from God, And in the light of God's agent, he becomes acutely aware of his own frailty and unworthiness. But then notice what Jesus does. And it's just so perfect and so Godlike. He meets Peter on his knees and he says to him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. Do not be afraid. It's notable, I think, to see that Jesus does not dismiss Peter's fearful response. He doesn't say, oh, oh, come on, buddy, you know, get up, get up, Uh, don't beat yourself up. Your sin is, is not so bad. Jesus does not quell Peter's anxiety by minimizing Peter's confession. Instead, he descends to Peter's level and says, do not be afraid. In other words, your frailty is real, Simon Peter but it's not determinative of our relationship. Your sin is real, Simon Peter, but I have come to set the sinner free and commission them for ministry. What we're seeing here in this text is a little picture of grace in action. Grace does not dismiss sin, but it addresses it while bringing the sinner close. God does not wait for the unworthy to get their act together before he gets into the boat of their life and draws near. He comes beside. He comes down to those who are on their knees, speaks, speaks, speaks peace to them, and invites them into his family and mission. The gracious character of Jesus' kingdom is seen all the more clearly as, as the Gospel of Luke continues and in the next story pretty much. Uh, Jesus calls a tax collector to be one of his disciples, a man named Levi. And then Levi, in his excitement, invites Jesus home for a meal and invites all his other tax collectors' friends to join him. And all the Pharisees, all the worthy people, are looking in on this situation and thinking, what is Jesus doing? He's eating and drinking with sinners. Jesus overhears this, and he looks at the Pharisees, and he says to them, you silly people. It's not for the righteous that I have come, but for the sinners. I have called, I've come to call them to repentance. It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've come for them. This is grace. God does not wait for us to get our act together before he comes beside us and calls to us. He calls to the sinners, the broken. He says, do not be afraid. Come, follow me. Jesus knows Peter's sin, but he's not afraid of it, and Peter doesn't need to be afraid of it either. It will be dealt with in time. It will be nailed fully and completely to the cross. Peter, of course, will still mess up, but in the care of the good physician, he will be led to wholeness. So Jesus speaks peace to Simon Peter, and the other thing he does is he gives Peter a new vocation a new job, a new call in the kingdom of God. Do not be afraid. You used to catch fish, and now you will catch people. You used to throw your nets out in the early morning. Now you will throw out the gospel message of salvation that will rescue men and women from the darkness that surrounds them. God give, or Jesus gives Peter peace and a new purpose acceptance, and a new call role in God's kingdom. And it's a bumpy road for Simon Peter, of course. I mean, the rest of the gospel makes that clear, doesn't it? One minute, he's falling falling on his knees, and the next, he's pridefully taking Jesus aside, thinking that he knows better than Jesus. One minute, he's zealous for Jesus, even going so far as to cut off the ear of the guard that is arresting him. And the next minute, he's the coward, denying the fact that he even knows Jesus at all. But Jesus never lets Peter go and continues to call Peter to himself to keep him close. He tends to Peter, he forgives Peter, and in the end he recommissions Peter to be a fisher of men. And then on Pentecost morning, such a special moment for Peter, such a special moment for the gospel of Jesus Christ, A spirit-filled Peter stands up to cast out the gospel message over the crowds in Jerusalem. And that day, the kingdom of God landed a net-breaking catch. Thousands were rescued from darkness and brought up into God's glorious light. Now imagine if Peter let the fear of his unworthiness, which I'm sure he felt throughout his life, imagine if he let the fear of his unworthiness Get in the way of Christ's commission. Imagine if he stayed on his knees in the boat in fear and never got up to follow. It's appropriate and healthy, of course, to just have a sober view of our own frailty and sinfulness. Personally, I'm very wary of people who have a high view of themselves and no awareness of their frailty. But it's also possible to have such a low view of yourself and so very little trust in the power of the gospel that that we never rise up into the life, into the commission that God has for us. I once had a conversation with a man who was raised in a, a Christian home, went to a Christian church as a child. He told me he doesn't go anymore and he also said in a joking voice that God would probably strike him with a lightning bolt if he ever got close to the front doors of a church. I think he was mostly joking, but jokes like this kind of contain elements of truth, too. I wonder where those deep feelings of unworthiness came from. Who shaped this man's perspective on God? Who, who told him that if he got close, that he, wouldn't, he would be rejected and not accepted? Many people wrestle with this, this deep feeling of insecurity, of unworthiness, this guilt and shame that just weighs them down, leads to a life of hiding, a a life of medicating, a life of fearfully putting on a show to try to fit in and, and appear to have it all together so that people don't get to know the real you. But God's message to you and all humble humans is this. Do not be afraid. God is not an angry man in the sky who hurls lightning bolts at unworthy sinners. Rather, he reveals himself as a passionate lover who comes, comes down, who dr- draws near to a kneeling Peter and speaks the words, do not be afraid. Freedom from fear, Freedom from the fear of unworthiness is found at the cross. There we see the love of God poured out. There we see Jesus decisively dealing with Peter's sin, with my sin, with your sin, with the sin of the world. While we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans 6, Christ died for us. And a strange change starts to take place in us as The Spirit brings this message close and into our hearts and lives. We move from fear to greater freedom, from self protective behaviors to greater authenticity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is medicine for the soul. Dear brothers and sisters, I think it's important for you to know today that you don't have to have your act together to be worthy of fellowship with Christ. You don't have to have your act together to be worthy of the call to mission, to participate in God's kingdom work. Jesus has a special place in his heart for the down and outers, the poor and the lost. These are the people he loves, the people he came for, the people he offers his gospel medicine, his word. Freedom from the fear of unworthiness is found in Christ. Hear him say to you today, do not be afraid. Come, follow me. Peter, Andrew, James, and John heard the call. They left their boats. They left the fish. They followed after Christ, their Lord. And the call of Christ continues. The gospel net is still being cast out into the world. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That is the good news. Together, let's boldly rise and follow his lead. Trust him. He will lead you on the path to life. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for sending your son to show us who you are and also uh, to deal decisively with the guilt, the shame, and the sin we carry. Thank you for the example of Peter, and we can see ourselves somewhat in him, Lord. We know know what it's like to feel those feelings. You speak to us, Lord, even today. Do not be afraid. Come and follow me. We pray. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that this message would not just be words floating through the air, but uh, that you would connect them deep in our souls and hearts, that we might experience a greater freedom from fear and uh, freedom from unworthiness. So minister your grace to us this morning, Lord, in this quiet moment. I pray. Thank you for this firm foundation. Help us to stand upon it, Lord, and to follow you with our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.